Hello everyone, coming right up we have Dr. Alveda C. King, the daughter of the late slain civil rights activist Reverend A.D. King and the niece of Martin Luther King Jr. talking about abortion, this election, and what it means for America. That's coming right up, stay with us. Hello everyone, my name is Jonathan Van Maren and welcome to the Van Maren Show on LifeSiteNews.com. As the abortion debate heats up in the United States, we're going to be talking today to Dr. Alveda King, who is, and I'm reading here from her own biography, the grateful mother of six children, a doting grandmother, and during more than half a century of her life, Alveda King has worked towards the, her purpose of glorifying God on this earth by accomplishing many goals. Currently, Alveda is a minister serving as the director of African American Outreach for the Gospel of Life, which is headed by Father Frank Pavone of Priest for Life, who's been on this podcast in the past. She also consults with the Africa Humanitarian Christian Fellowship, founded by her mentor, Pastor Alan McNair of Believer's Bible Christian Church in Atlanta, Georgia. She's a former college professor holding a Master's of Arts degree in Business Management. Her undergrad studies in Journalism and Sociology helped her become a published author, and she's written several best-selling books, including Sons of Thunder, The King Family Legacy, and I Don't Want Your Man, I Want My Own. This is an inspirational collection that's used at conferences and workshops around the world. Her doctorate of laws was conferred by St. Anselm College, and she has served on boards and committees of numerous organizations, including the Silent No More Awareness Campaign, the Coalition of African American Pastors, and the Judeo-Christian Coalition for Constitutional Restoration. She has also served in the Georgia State House of Representatives and is an actress and songwriter. During the years of the Civil Rights Movement, led by her uncle, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., Alveda's family home was bombed in Birmingham, Alabama in the very heat of the struggle. Daddy's house was bombed, then in Louisville, Kentucky, his church office was bombed, and I was also jailed during the open housing movement, she recalls. Alveda has continued her long-term work as a civil rights activist, speaking out on issues that face society today. She has been one of America's most prominent pro-life activist. She appears regularly on Fox News and elsewhere, and I was thrilled that she agreed to come on the Van Maren Show and discuss her views, how she got there, and why this upcoming election is so incredibly important. The first question I wanted to ask you is, uh, how did you get involved in the pro-life movement initially? I became pro-life in 1983 when I became a born-again Christian. At that time, I was pro-choice. I was a Democrat. I had uh, been elected to office in Georgia as a state representative, and my worldview was uh, much more secular. I became born-again in '83. I acknowledged at that time all of my sins. I had had two abortions and a miscarriage because of damage done to my body by the abortions. And yet I realized that the Bible says, choose life. God wants us to choose life. So I began to ask the question. I said, a woman has a right to choose what she does with her body. The baby is not her body. Where's the lawyer for the baby? 
how can the dream survive if we murder the children? So I've been pro-life since 1983 and a voice for life since that time. So that was when you became pro-life, 1983. Ronald Reagan would have been president at the time, and you're quite a significant and prominent pro-life figure in in Republican and political circles now. When did that journey begin? When did you go from somebody who was becoming pro-life, becoming anti-abortion, to somebody uh, who was a, quite a prominent figure in the pro-life movement? I became pro-life in 1983, and I became a voice for life. I began to lose popularity in certain communities. People no longer were inviting me to speak, and yet I was undaunted. So I actually became a pro-life voice for life in 83. In 1999, I was making a talk somewhere, and I, by that time, I was no longer a Democrat. I was an independent, and I was supporting school choice. I was supporting life, religious freedom, Ten Commandments in the public square, put prayer back in schools, all of that. And uh, talking about abortion being an egregious crime against humanity. So during that time, I met Father Frank Pavone at a Right to Life meeting in New York. I was speaking on the platform of family values, which included life. And Father Frank and I became fast friends. We worked together from 1999 until 2005 on various projects. I joined the March for Life. I went to Rachel's Vineyard for healing. I became silent no more. And in 2005, I became director of African-American outreach for Priest for Life, which has now become civil rights for the unborn for Priest for Life. One of the things you've talked quite a lot about is how you, you feel as if you are carrying on the King family legacy that, again, as, as you just mentioned, that you are fighting for a new kind of civil rights and that uh, we've ended one injustice in America, segregation, but now there's a new injustice that needs to be fought uh, for. So what, how, how do you see yourself as, as simply carrying on the legacy that your family has been fighting for for decades? I am a guardian of the King family legacy. I'm 70 years old. In 1963, I was a young teenager, and I was working with my father and working in the civil rights community. Our home was bombed in 1963, and it has now, that home in Alabama, it was the church parsonage and family home, it has now been named to the african-american civil rights network and i went on my first march in 1963 as a civil rights activist i became a youth organizer in the civil rights movement of that time and so it was a natural progression for me to continue to carry the same message over into 2020 and so now today we know that it's very important to acknowledge life as a civil right and abortion as a civil wrong. Do you remember any discussion about abortion in your family growing up, especially considering the fact that abortion was just becoming a toxic and political issue at the time? In 1950, I was conceived by Reverend, well, he wasn't Reverend then. My mother and daddy were college students, A.D. King and Naomi King. I was conceived, and my mother had found a flyer from the Birth Control League. I'm not sure if they had changed their name to Planned Parenthood at that time, but she didn't want to have a baby. Abortion was illegal in 1950. 
However, the DNC procedure where a woman was having discomfort in her stomach or her body and didn't know what was going on, she could go to a doctor and get a DNC. Anything in the womb would be removed. So my mother, uh, suspecting she was pregnancy, pregnant, they didn't have the pregnancy test and all the stuff they have today. But my mother wanted a DNC. And so my grandfather said that would be an abortion. Martin Luther King Sr. told my mother that would be an abortion. You can't abort this baby. She's a little girl. I saw her in the womb three years ago. This is three years before I was conceived. She's mm-hmm. a little girl with bright skin and bright red hair. So Daddy King was a champion against abortion and for life, all of his life. He did that in our own family. He did that for our church members in the mid-70s. I had already had two abortions and a miscarriage. Mid-70s, I wanted to abort one of my children. He said, that's not a lump of flesh. That's my great-grandchild. No. So uh, my grandfather, Martin Luther King Sr., was adamantly opposed to abortion his whole life. My uncle, Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., uh, Planned Parenthood tried to trick him and give him an award, the Maggie Award, the Margaret Sanger Award, and they used to follow me around when I would say my family could not support abortion, and they would read this speech that somebody else wrote. My uncle didn't write it. He did not go to the award ceremony. He did not write the speech. He did not read the speech. His wife went. She was pro-choice. But I was also pro-choice before 83, so that was not uncommon for some women who thought who we were thinking we were forward thinking. So my family has been aware of abortion, and our champion, Martin Luther King Sr., my granddaddy, was opposed to abortion his whole life. How do we explain uh, the fact that so many African-Americans are instinctively conservative and then when you look at their position on things like abortion and other Christian issues, uh, they actually align uh, far closer to the, the Republican Party than the Democratic Party. And for example, when uh, when I was with Created Equal at a pro-life display outside Obama's inauguration, uh, huge numbers of the people who were attending his inauguration, many, many African-Americans came up to talk to to us and they all expressed support for what we were doing, even though they had just been voting for and celebrating the most pro-abortion president in American history. So why are so many African-Americans both pro-life but Democratic voters? The African-American community is a very politically loyal community. And so during the time that President John Kennedy was elected as president of the United States, my uncle, Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was in jail. And his dad said, I'll vote for whoever gets my son out of jail. That's me paraphrasing. You'd have to go and look up the story. However, at that time, Daddy King was a Republican, but he agreed to vote for and support President John Kennedy. And he did. And many African-Americans followed Daddy King out of the Republican Party into the Democrat Party. And, and many uh, African-Americans have been in that party for a long time. I was a Democrat. I was elected as a Democrat in the 1970s and 80s in the State House of Georgia. So I only changed after I became born again, as I already explained. So we are uh, a very politically loyal party. However, many African-Americans today are supporting President Donald John Trump because of his stand for life, because of his economic uh, support, uh, getting more jobs and small businesses, because of his, him reuniting 
black families, getting people out of jail and all of that. So there is now a new shift and we're seeing that shift. So even though we can be a very politically loyal community, we can also think for ourselves. And you're seeing that uh, in the African-American community today. Do you think the extremism of today's Democratic Party on LGBT issues, on the abortion issue, will assist in driving more socially conservative-minded African-American voters into the Republican fold? Or does the Republican uh, Party have to change the way they do things to ensure that they're reaching out to these voters, drawing them in? People are waking up, not just African-Americans, Americans are waking up. The Democratic Party is not the party that it used to be. People are understanding that. For example, secular humanism, social justice, social gospel, all man-made concepts are very harmful to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. People are waking up. Social justice says do it man's way. God's justice is tempered with mercy. Social gospel says you don't need God. Take God out of everything. Take him off the money. Don't say in God we trust. Don't say one nation under God. And uh, do I take God out. That's not working. People know it won't work. And as a result, the decision won't be on the Republican Party or the Democratic Party, but people just waking up, praying, and returning to God. I've got a wonderful book, We're Not Colorblind, with Ginger Howard. And even the answer of racism is easily understood by science, religion, and philosophy. We are one human race, not separate races. If you're not separate races, then you don't have to have a superior or an inferior, a victim or an oppressor, because we can do what Martin Luther King Jr. said. We must learn to live together as brothers, I'll say as sisters, ancestors or perish together as fools. So we see each other as human beings with human dignity, not aborting our youngest and weakest in the womb. Skin color denotes ethnicity, not race. So when we understand this, Margaret Sanger of Planned Parenthood with the Aryan or superior race, we can see the, the faultiness of such reasoning when we realize we are one human race. You've met with Donald Trump personally uh, in his first term, is that correct? Many times I've been in the presence of the President of the United States to pray and to encourage, and it has been an incredible honor to do that. One of the things that I wanted to know is 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 when you're meeting with 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 President Trump, and I, I've spoken on this show to a few pro-lifers who have done the same, including uh, including Father Frank Pavone. Um, what what does he say about the abortion issue? What are your conversations with him like? It was delightful to be in the White House in the Oval Office with President Trump and other leaders in the pro-life movement and he made this beautiful phone call i was right there encouraging us to be strong to let us know that he agrees that human life is sacred that all the babies are important their mother's important their families are important that is his conversation and i was just so honored to be a part of that conversation with him and to see him uh, it, the first time he did it he was candidate trump and he was debating mrs hillary clinton and he said ripping apart little babies in their mother's wombs that's wrong or that's bad i'm paraphrasing we'd have to go back and see the exact quote but it was just absolutely marvelous to understand his position for life and to see him 
continually with executive orders and other efforts to stand for the human dignity of the unborn. Now, we all know that um, you used to be you used to be pro-choice. Marjorie Denenfelser of the SBA list used to be pro-choice. And Trump used to be a, 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 a basically a pro-abortion Manhattan billionaire. He used to be giving a lot of money to the Democrats. Uh, do you know how he changed his mind on this issue? Have you talked about him, uh, talked with him about his change of mind on abortion? I've never had the conversation. I think the president may be aware of mine, how I was pro-choice and I became a born-again Christian. I did hear many conversations. I've read and heard those conversations about President Trump having a friend, a male friend who had a child aborted and it broke his friend and his friend was unconsolable on that issue. And so President Trump himself began to reconsider and to examine that. And people like Marjorie Dansfeller, Father Frank Pavone, Alveda King, uh, there are so many of us who are pro-life, who have the opportunity to pray for and with the president and to communicate the concerns for life. And uh, there's a uh, pro-life voices for Trump as well, I'm on that. So I believe that all of these different issues have impacted the president in such a way that he sees little babies in the womb as Americans. And he's always America first. So that means babies in the womb, American babies in the womb first. I can imagine him saying something like that. I haven't heard him say it, but I, I can imagine one of the, one of the things that I wanted to ask you was there used to be quite a few civil rights leaders like let's say like Reverend Jesse Jackson for example who were very pro life, uh, but then later abandoned their pro life position as they sought to grow uh, in prominence in the Democratic Party. Have you ever had conversations about abortion with your pro choice family members with people who were in the civil rights movement at the same time you were but have changed their position on this issue? I've had conversations with my aunt Coretta Scott King, who has passed away. I've conversations with my mother, who is fully pro-life. My brother, Reverend Derek King, who is fully pro-life. Uh, other family members understand and agree that a baby in the womb is a human being, and they understand fully my position. So there are many, many conversations in my family about life. Uh, you have to remember, I used to be pro-choice myself. It seemed to be politically expedient at the time. Uh, Jesse Jackson was very, very pro-life. He was rescued from abortion because of the pro-life perspective. His own mother did not abort him. However, he was fooled by the rabid feminist community. And what they said to him, pretty much, I'm paraphrasing again, well, Reverend Jackson, we hear all of that and we can understand your position. However, women need help as well. Will you speak on behalf of women and women's rights? So he stepped over into that platform, causing him to abandon the babies, unfortunately. And uh, he has been there ever since. And that's the same with many of the members of the Congressional Black Caucus, many elected African-Americans who have positions in political offices around the country, unfortunately. However, there are so many African-Americans. Uh, my goddaughter, Angela Stanton King, is running for Congress in the seat that John Lewis held for 47 years, I think it was. And uh, Angela is very pro-life. Um, you have many black candidates who are running for office today who are pro-life. 
So what is your take now that there's another empty Supreme Court seat with uh, with the passing of Ruth Bader Ginsburg? What does this mean about the stakes of, of, of this current election? What is your view on that seat being filled? I know you've been having a lot of conversations with other pro-life activists, so I just wanted to know what your take on all this was. It has been prophesied that the next Supreme Court justice appointee will be a woman. That's excellent. I know that there are there's one at least one minority woman on the list, uh, Latino, Hispanic, perhaps. Would have been nice if uh, an African American woman had been on the list as well. But President Trump has supported to the judiciary African Americans and African American women um, recently. So uh, I'm excited. I believe that this appointment will happen before the election. It is my prayer that it does. And I think that would be wonderful to have another pro-life member on the judiciary. I know that you do a lot of work for Fox News and you do, uh, you're doing this podcast with LifeSite News and you go to, uh, you talk to all different kinds of conservative media. Why do you think that outlets like LifeSite News are incredibly important when, in, this, in this era when, when all the truth about abortion is constantly hidden? In ancient times, Satan had a title, Prince of the Power of the Air. The airways no longer belong to the devil. The airways belong to us. We have a responsibility in media, in, well, in media, arts, entertainment, medicine, business, education, everything. We have a responsibility to occupy these various frequencies. So I think it's very important that your work continue. I'm very pleased uh, to be on your show. Final question, and thank you so much for giving us uh, giving us so much of your time. Is is for all those who are thinking about what to do, who might be uncomfortable with President Trump, but know how pro-abortion Joe Biden is. Um, how would you explain to them what the stakes are and what they need to be doing uh, through the next month and then come November nine? I believe that truth crushed to earth will rise again. And I believe that all the candidates should continue to let us know that they respect life from the womb to the tomb and encourage us to vote for life. If we vote for life, that will eliminate the temptation to vote for personalities. Joe Biden has a great smile. Kamala Harris is a lovely lady to look at, but they believe in killing babies in the womb. President Trump, very strong and very valiant in fighting for life, liberty, and the pursuit of of happiness for all Americans womb to the tomb. So we should vote for America from the womb to the tomb for a better life. And I believe that if the candidates can explain that and encourage us to look at their records and their perspectives, I think we will begin to see more people vote for life. Well, Dr. King, thank you so much for taking the time to join us. Thank you. God bless you. Ladies and gentlemen, that was my conversation with Dr. Alveda King on how she became pro-life, the abortion debate in America, and what the stakes are come this November. If you want to check out other episodes of this podcast, head on over to lifesitenews.com and go to the podcast tab. You can find us across all all platforms and you can subscribe there. If you need regular updates of life and family news you can also check out lifesitenews.com i write several columns weekly which you can find under the blog tab once again thank you so much for joining us this week and we do hope you'll join us again next week